You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 88th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I have a great friend and talented therapist, Dr. Richard Doss. He's a licensed clinical psychologist for the Department of Veteran Affairs Readjustment Counseling Services in Chicago, where he specializes in trauma, anger management, and marriage counseling. Dr. Doss earned his PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Mississippi, and he's the author of two books, Good Soldiers Suffer in Silence and 52 Steps to Stop the Suffering. And his TED Talk, Trained Not to Cry, has received rave reviews. Welcome, Richard, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Kim. Glad to be here. One of the reasons that I wanted to invite you was that awesome book that you wrote called Good Soldiers Suffer in Silence. I had the privilege of reading an early copy of that book, and I just really thought it was something that could help a lot of veterans. And I've just transitioned my topic last month. September, the topic was about parenting. And now in October with World Mental Health Day on October 10th, I like to focus on mental health in the month of October. So you're my first guest on mental health. And I was hoping we'd be able to talk about suicide. It's not a topic people like to talk about, but it's definitely a topic that is needed to be discussed. True. Um, Yeah. I thought you were the person. So I'm really glad that you agreed to come on. And I guess we could just get started. I'd like to ask you, how prevalent actually is suicide in America? Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. And it is the third leading cause of death among young people, 15 to 24. To give you some sense, in 2018, there were 48,000 deaths by suicide. Mm. In 2020, the preliminary data says that there were 44,800, almost 45,000 deaths due to suicide. So, you know, if you think of it like this, if one death by suicide is too many, then it seems that we have some kind of epidemic going on. The number that you hear frequently when referring to veterans is 22 a day, 22 deaths by suicide a day. Which is incomprehensible to me. I cannot imagine 22 people suiciding every day from our armed forces veterans. It's just heartbreaking. Right. I know that's something that you're working hard to prevent. That's what your book was about. That's what your work is about. The average person listening to this podcast who doesn't have any psychological training, what are the things that they should be looking for? Are there signs that somebody might be suicidal? Probably one of the most obvious signs is somebody saying that they want to die, that they plan to suicide. Some of the more common things that you'll see is people saying goodbye to people, or you'll see people giving away things. Alcohol and drugs also play a role too. Some psychological autopsies that, you know, some of the research has done has said that one in three people who suicide had alcohol or drugs in their system. Clinically, you know, one of the things that we assess for are their previous attempts. Sometimes we think, oh, yeah, you know, he tried it before, he wasn't successful. You know, he probably won't try it again or he won't be successful the next time. 
the truth is people kind of like the breadcrumbs people leave evidence that something bad is about to happen the interesting thing is oftentimes you hear people say i had no idea that he or she was feeling suicidal their life was perfect but the truth is that people have a myriad of issues i work with veterans one of the things that we think that once a person has been in combat and has possibly taken lives and you know, lost friends and seeing people die horrifically in front of them. We think that PTSD is probably one of the biggest contributors to suicide among veterans. The research that we've done with the Department of Defense at the Army Reserve at Fort Bragg showed that actually relationships, problems and relationship breakups was the biggest stressor that contributed to suicide, followed by legal problems and financial problems. Frequently, there's the everyday stuff that really gets you. The other challenging part is that 46% of people who die by suicide had a known mental health or psychiatric problem or diagnosis. But usually most of the people who experience or suicide or are successful at suicide, most of them had never been to a psychologist, psychiatrist, counselor, social worker. I say it's, it's everyday people, often with everyday problems. When you think about probably the biggest clinical diagnosis, usually there's going to be some kind of major depressive episode going on. We all get down from time to time. And on any given day, there are 10 people in the room. There's one person in the room who's thinking about suicide. But I guess one of the unfortunate things about depression and one of the biggest characteristics of it is, you know, when we get in that dark place and some people refer to it as, as a rabbit hole, we can't see a way out. You might say to a good friend of yours, you know, no, you have every reason to be alive or to stay alive. You have a nice home. You have somebody who loves you. You have a nice car and you make a lot of money. But those things may not be enough for a person to say, I want to continue being here. Sometimes people jump through a lot of hoops to make it appear as though life is good. They jump through a lot of hoops to make it appear as though they're successful or to appear as though they're happy. But on any given day, there are a lot of us who are just hurting. Your degree, what school you went to, where you live, how big your house is, what kind of car you drive, don't protect you. So nobody is immune from the possibility of having suicidal ideations or wanting to take, you know. Their I think that the world learned that lesson when Robin Williams ended his life. It was like everybody thought he had everything and he was so funny and he seemed so happy all the time. How could someone like that suicide? That is the truth. And then given what you're saying, I'm wondering about social media and how much that plays a role because people on social media always post about their best and brightest experiences. They're not posting, not most people anyway, posting about their heartbreaks and their sadness or their anger. It's all the best stuff. So if you're feeling bad and you're looking at everyone else, you can have the illusion that you're the only one that feels bad because everybody else is doing so well. That's true. That's true. Social media is a powerful entity. So it has the power to lift people up. It has the power to feed egos. But it also has the power to give the illusion that everybody is doing well, except you. So it's a dangerous game to play. I also say this too. Social media is probably not the best place to work on your mental health. You are so right. There are better places to get mental health services than social media. Yeah, so true. 
I've heard many people say that there's nothing that can be done if someone is really suicidal. Do you think that that's true? I think that's absolutely untrue. The truth is that oftentimes people reach out and just from my own clinical experience, what we find is that usually the intensity of wanting to take your own life is really, really strong for about an hour. If somebody reaches out to you during that period, there's an opportunity for you to point them in a different direction. And one of the things I say too is you don't have to be a clinician. You don't have to be a counselor, a psychologist, or a psychiatrist. You can just be a friend. And it's not even, you know, somebody says that they're suicidal. It's not even that you have the answer. You can't fix everything. Even as a psychologist that I'll say to a person is, I'm willing to listen. What's going on? How can I help? I care. Being able to say to a person that you're listening, you care, can make a world of difference. Anecdotal stories I've heard people say, you know, I was in a dark place. And, uh, you know, that conversation that we had turned me around that day. Sometimes you can just be in the right place at the right time. Would you say that a person who's in someone's life who may be thinking of suicide, who wants to be that person, that it's important for the family member or friend to not take it personally that the other person is thinking of killing themselves. Because I think as a loved one, especially, or a friend, it might be like, well, how could you think of doing that? Don't you know what that would do to me? How much I care for you. If you, as the helping person, whoever you are in a person's life, cannot take it personally, not make it about you, but just completely focus in on the person who is feeling that desperate, that their best choice in that moment they think is to end their life. Don't make it about you. Make it about them. One of the things I say is don't hijack somebody's suicidal ideations. So, you know, a person comes to you and they say, you know, I'm in a bad place. Uh, I'm in the rabbit hole. I think I want to kill myself. Probably one of the worst things that you could say is, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, you know, I, I felt the same way. I, I'm feeling that way right now. Let me tell you what my problem is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I can put my ego, my mental status, my emotions to the side for just a moment, perhaps I can be still and quiet and just listen. At least for an hour, right? At least for an hour. <laughs> that hour may make the difference between life and death for someone that you care about. It may make the difference. And when I have friends or definitely clients, but when I have friends that I, I know dip into that dark place sometimes, what I believe one of the healthiest things that I can say to them is, if you need to talk, I'm here. If you yep. need to talk. I love that. What would you say if someone cared for someone and the person did commit suicide and now that person is blaming themselves because they didn't see it or they didn't spend that hour with that person? It's not really helpful to be blaming yourself at that time, right? Do you ever do work with someone who might be the survivor of someone who suicided? That actually has a name and it's survivor's guilt. On the military side, I see it frequently where a soldier was with a group of friends or in his platoon and a number of people got killed and they'll ask the question, why not me? It should have been me. Why did he go? What could I have done differently? What could I have done to prevent that? 
I think that's just a human trait to second guess ourselves and to ask ourselves, what could we have done differently as family members? Why didn't I see it? I should have seen it sooner. I should have known what it looked like. And the truth is that there are people who are in corrections institutions as well as psychiatric hospitals who are suicidal, surrounded by physicians and nurses who still are successful at taking their lives. The truth is you don't have the power, the wisdom, the insight to save everybody. That's an elusive ability. When you are fortunate enough to talk somebody off of the ledge consider it an honor and a privilege. That's not something that happens every day. And whether or not somebody lives or dies after a suicide attempt is not something that's under your control. I would discourage somebody from taking responsibility over somebody's death. Yeah, it could send them down a rabbit hole of their own. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even though you say that many people leave signs, it's also true that there is a percentage of individuals who leave no signs at all. Is oh, yeah, it? absolutely true. Absolutely true. One of the big things that you'll see with people who are having suicidal ideations or thoughts is they'll exhibit something that we call anhedonia. So stuff that they used to enjoy, they don't enjoy anymore. What you'll see is that they become isolated and withdrawn. And so it's very likely that I haven't seen this person lately. When I think about symptoms and warning signs, somebody that I used to see all the time and I haven't seen in a while might ask the question, what's going on? An unfortunate truth is that oftentimes we don't really want to know how somebody's doing. Because we don't know how to deal with it. Right. And so when we ask the question, how are you doing? We oftentimes expect people to say, oh, I'm fine and you. Right. That's the right answer. The comfortable answer. This is what I say, and I've tried this. I'll ask family, friends, and I work with my clients as well. I'll ask this question. How are you doing? The first time, oh, yeah, I'm good. Everything good. Couldn't be better. But I'll take that same question, and I'll ask it again. I'll say, but how are you really doing? And as I slow the mood down, the second response is oftentimes, you know, I'm doing all right. You know, I, I, I'm good. And I'll ask it a final time. And you'd be amazed how many times I've had people say on that third question, I didn't know you really wanted to know. And then share with me the personal thing about the place that they're in right now. And so on any given day, any number of friends that you might have are in a dark place, pretending. Yeah, to be okay. What do you think about people without training, of course, family members, friends who are trying to help a suicidal person and they use platitudes to try to help them feel better? Things like, oh, everything's going to be all right. Would that be a helpful thing to do? I understand that your heart is in the right place and you have good intentions. But one of the things that I discourage people from doing clinically, and if this is a personal friend of yours. I tell people, don't make promises you can't keep. And if this is a personal friend, don't say something that just may not be true. If your friend is, is depressed and suicidal because of a breakup, can I say to that friend, it's going to be all right. She'll come back. You don't actually know that that person's coming back. It could be the end of that relationship. Another thing that I say is don't say things that aren't true. Don't make promises you can't keep. 
for me, it's easier to say I'm willing to listen. We can think out loud, talk out loud, and maybe we can come up with something together. But I don't know that tomorrow is going to be better. Is there a phone number, like a helpline that someone could call that's feeling suicidal, or even a family member might be able to call if they're looking for a little support in intervening with someone who may be suicidal? If you were to call the crisis line, somebody would pick up immediately and start talking to you. That number is 1-800-273-8255. Is that a military helpline or is that for anyone? Anybody. Military people can call it, but it's open to anybody. Okay, terrific. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to the audience before we close? I like to give my guests the opportunity, something maybe I didn't ask, something that you'd like to throw out there. Just the nature of life is that it has highs and it has lows. And I think it's an illusion to think that times will always be good and everything will always go your way. Keep living. And what you'll find is that oftentimes the opposite is true, that chaos can break out and things will go wrong. There'll be month after month, the month that you won't have enough money. There'll be times when you're sick. There'll be times when you're alone. But just know that you don't have to stay alone. You can reach out, family, friends, clergy, and then mental health professionals. I know in some communities, people think you only talk to a mental health professional if you're crazy. I hear people often say, you know, I, I have problems, but I'm not crazy. Well, I don't need to talk to a psychologist. We all need to talk to somebody at some time, just like your physical health. Know that it's important to take care of your mental health. Mental well-being, emotional well-being is a real thing. People out here who are willing. That's right. And you are one of those people. So I would like to highlight your book about good soldiers suffer in silence. It's a book that you wrote based on your experience of treating a lot of veterans. I think it could be helpful to anyone. I know that a lot of the people that you interviewed and worked with for that book were Vietnam vets, but it will still resonate with people who served in any conflict. I know that that's available on Amazon and can it be ordered from bookstores, Richard? I don't know. Yeah. The easiest place to get it is Amazon. If the people who are listening would like to contact you, Richard, for their information or help, how would they do that? They can go to strongmindsinstitute.com and my email is simply richard at strongmindsinstitute.com. That's minds with an S. Okay. Terrific. I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day, helping people to talk with us. It means a lot to me that you would be available to do this. So thank you. Well, the pleasure is mine. And I may as well give you uh, my 1-800 number. And that's simply 866-204-9390. And you can leave a message and I assure you, I will call back. There's a promise you can take to the bank. It is. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be interviewing Felicia Houston about her ideas on stressing less. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, 
please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast and remember to subscribe.